Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 246 of the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. The title of today's interview is Forgiving Spirit, an interview with Gabriella Bordenero. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Folks, we've come to understand that Lyme is an isolating disease. It is particularly a socially isolating disease. And one of the things that we learned from this young woman is that in order to be able to heal on a Lyme disease journey, you have to have a forgiving spirit. You have to forgive the people who have isolated you. In some cases, we're going to have situations where we have friends and family who aren't as supportive as we expect or we would like them to be. But we can't allow that to be an additional impediment or an additional immune suppressing event. And we've learned from Gabby that in order to heal from Lyme disease, you have to have a forgiving spirit. So without further ado, we are really excited to introduce to you the forgiving spirit, Gabriella Bordenero. Hey, Gabby, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Hi, how are you? Well, we're really excited to have you, Gabby. We've, uh, we've, we've been trying to get you on the podcast for a long time, and we've finally been able to connect with you, and Matt and I are really excited to share your story with the folks in our community. So, Gabby, yeah, why don't you talk to our folks about where you're from? I'm from Syracuse, New York. Um, I grew up here, and um, it's, a, it's a good little area. It's small, but there's, there's a lot of people. We, um, we have Syracuse University. My mom used to work there. My uncle used to play football there. So um, it's very, my mom comes from a family of six, so very big. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, we all kind of live in the same area, which is nice. Um, I'm very family oriented have a lot of people around us. Um, but yeah, Syracuse is, it's a good little town. <laughs> cool. so, so I, I understand you're a college student, Gabby. So where are you going to school? I go to Lemoyne College. Um, I actually went to St. Bonaventure University in my freshman year. And then um, that was actually the year after I got sick. So I came home, um, I took a medical leave my uh, fresh or my fall semester of my sophomore year. And then I transferred to Lemoyne um, the spring semester of my sophomore year, and I've been there since. And I actually will be getting my master's next year in marketing. So that's something I'm excited about. But, oh, yeah. And I'm really excited, too. And I'm excited to know that you're going to one of the sister schools to uh, my daughter's school over at Scranton. So it's really cool that you uh, found your way to one of the good uh, Catholic sister schools over in, uh, over in uh, upstate New York. Yes, yes, definitely. So, uh, Gabby, talk to us a, a little bit about what it was like to grow up in Syracuse. Now, you're growing up in the Lime Belt. You're, you know, you're a young woman. You're 21. Um, and uh, your entire life has been spent in the Lime Belt here on the East Coast. So talk to us about what it was like growing up as a child in Syracuse, New York. Yeah, so growing up, I was, I was very active. Um, I have an older brother. He's six years older than me. He kind of forced me to get into sports and <laughs> do anything outside. And my cousins, they have a ton of land um, where they live. So we would always get on their golf cart and go in the trails and stuff. And uh, just very adventurous, I feel like. I always wanted to be active. Um, I feel like I couldn't really sit still. And if I did, I was either like painting or drawing or, or doing something. But um, yeah, I, it's, it's a very active town. Um, sports are definitely big here. I think that also kind of, you know, is led by Syracuse University, you know, the football, basketball, lacrosse. And I was just kind of 
not bred, but <laughs> I just kind of went into sports. Um, and I played basketball, lacrosse, volleyball, and soccer since I was little. My dad was my coach for basketball, which it had its ups and downs for that, but <laughs> definitely made me learn some things. But um, yeah, it's it was, I definitely wouldn't want to grow up anywhere else. I, I love Syracuse. Um, there's definitely times where I do want to leave when it gets a little colder out, but <laughs> other than that, yeah, it was, it was a good childhood. So, so Gabby, for the folks who are not New Yorkers and, or people who are not even from the U.S. who listen to this podcast, we should give them a context for what it's like to be in Syracuse, New York. I've, I've actually spent a fair amount of time in Syracuse. It is a beautiful, beautiful community, but it's a largely rural community, right? There's, there, there are a lot of act, outdoor activities. Um, there are a lot of woods or forests, as some people would call them. Um, and of course, there is this really powerful athletic culture surrounding Syracuse University, which is a part of the community that you grew up in. So you grew up in an outdoorsy community with a lot of beautiful outdoor experiences that are available to you and the people who live in that community. And you're an athlete. So you're a gal from when you were born until uh, probably this morning who spent a lot of time outdoors, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. And um, I used to live in Manlius, which is about 15 minutes away from Syracuse. And that's very rural. rural. Um, lots of farms. Um, my house was directly across from just like the woods and stuff. So um, I remember growing up and, and my parents would always tell me, you know, watch out for ticks. And when my cousins and I would be on the golf cart and stuff like that, we would always try to make sure we were being safe and like watch out for poison ivy and stuff like that. But it's definitely there's woods surrounded by everything. If you're not in the city, it's, it's kind of, you know, a given that you're going to go down a road and see some farms and some cows and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I feel like even in the summer or spring, when you're in Syracuse, when it starts getting nice out, you just go outside because you try to take in as much as you can because most of the year here it's it's freezing so um yeah most of my time was spent outside and um just being adventurous and finding things to play with outside and yeah definitely let's build that one other part of your childhood i i uh, i could tell from uh from the video that we that we have that of course is not a part of this podcast, but you have a couple of dogs, right? So have, have companion animals always been a part of your life while you were growing up uh, in Syracuse? Yes, definitely. Um, I grew up, I wanna say when I was little, we, we had a cat when I was born. His name was actually Evil, um, <laughs> but he, that was the first animal that I had. Um, and then after that, we had two other cats they were brothers and then we got our first dog molly she was a golden retriever when i was nine and then um those were kind of it was just the three of them because evil had ran, ran away and we never found him but um yeah dogs and cats have been in my life most of my life um molly passed away in 2016 i believe and then we got my dog, Wrigley. She just turned five. And then over COVID, we got Chatham, um, who we named after Chatham Cape Cod, because my family and I vacation there all the time. Um, and he's going to turn two in April. So 
yeah, dogs. I think I honestly think part of my healing journey was having um, my dogs with me because it it can get very lonely. Um, and it, it kind of felt like the days that I, you know, wasn't feeling my best. I felt really weak. I didn't feel like myself. It felt like Wrigley would always know that something was wrong. And she always, you know, cuddles up to me and will sleep in bed with me. And um, I think that having them has definitely helped me a lot in my journey. So now let's let's talk about ticks and tick diseases and Lyme disease in particular in the context of growing up as a child in Syracuse, New York. You said that your parents would tell you to be careful about ticks. And of course, you have these companion animals who are going outside and coming inside and they may have ticks on them as well. So talk to us about, you know, what you did to try to keep yourself safe from tick diseases, what your parents do to keep you safe from tick diseases other than saying, hey, Gabby, don't get a tick on you when you go outside. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, growing up, I, I hadn't really heard of Lyme disease. Um, I knew that, you know, we would take the dogs to the vet and they'd test them for Lyme and they would get like a certain medicine for it and stuff like that. But it wasn't anything that was of like as big of knowledge around Syracuse, I feel like. Um, it's not really talked about even in the doctor's office, you know, they, they don't really mention it when you say you have like symptoms. Um, I think that it, you know, there's, there's not a lot of knowledge around it in Syracuse. So growing up, you know, my parents, like I said, they would tell me watch out for ticks and my aunt and uncle and stuff. And we would always check ourselves, but it wasn't something that was like first on my list to worry about as a kid. Um, and I, I never really did any research on Lyme disease before I was diagnosed. I hadn't heard of anyone who had it. Like I said, I thought it was only like in dogs, um, which now I definitely know that's not true, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's not as big as a thing in Syracuse that people know about, but I definitely think that, you know, we could have taken more um, caution when looking for our ticks if they were on us um, after we went outside after um, we my aunt has like paddle boards because she has a little pond in the front of her um, property and so we would go on the paddle boards in the pond and now that I think about it there was probably ticks all around there so um, it's definitely a little concerning that <laughs> we didn't take as much caution as we should have but I think at that age, um, we didn't really know any better, you know. Right. So let's let's talk about let's talk about the kinds of warnings your parents were giving you during your childhood when you were going out with your cousins and doing those kinds of things. Right? So they did say to you, watch out for ticks, right? So you were generally aware that ticks were something you should be concerned about, but you didn't really think it was something that you really needed to take action on. It was just sort of like, you know, something out there that, you know, was not good, but you weren't taking any specific steps or you didn't have any specific actions that you would take to protect yourself from uh, ticks, like the type of clothing you would wear or putting on bug spray or having a specific way of check uh, checking yourself. You just sort of like, you heard about it. It was something that was really more, more uh, that dogs had to worry about. And uh, you, you, uh, you just sort of went on and lived your life, right? 
Yes, yes. And like I said, how Syracuse people don't really know about it. So I don't, I don't think I really blame my parents because they didn't, they didn't know too much about it, you know. Um, But it's definitely now that I think about it, we should have taken so much more like should have worn the right clothes and and like you said bug spray like we would have bug spray but it would just be for mosquitoes and stuff if we'd be out having a bonfire or something like that but um yeah I it's it's crazy now to think about how kind of careless we were about it but well, I like- you know, and, and that's 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 another thing that we should probably focus on so I mean you're 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 going to school in the shadow of one of the top universities in the country Syracuse University right they have a really good school system where you go to school, right? Where you're going to elementary school and middle school or junior high school and high school, right? Did you take any health and science courses? And in any of those courses, did you learn anything about ticks and tick diseases and how to protect yourself from getting sick? Yeah, I mean, we we learned about ticks. I, I honestly, now that I think about it, it wasn't something that was like of importance when we were when we did talk about it it was kind of just like in passing like oh this is an insect you know it can have Lyme disease um but I now that I think about it's not it's not something that they really implement very um like strongly I guess um like anything about Lyme disease growing up in school I don't I like I like I said it I've heard about it a couple times when I was growing up but it wasn't anything that really stuck out to me um I did go to private school um from kindergarten up until halfway through 10th grade and that's kind of when I was starting to develop more of my um severe symptoms and I transferred to a public school so I always wonder maybe there was something that I missed when I transferred because there were different, you know, they were teaching different things. The old high school I went to, that was a college prep school. And then the other one was a public school. So it was, I honestly feel like I kind of missed out on some things because I transferred halfway through the year. But um, I, I never remember really learning about Lyme disease and having you know the actions to take when you get bit or how to prevent it and stuff like that which I definitely think needs to be something kids are taught about and that they know what actions to take. So you had awareness because your parents wanted you to be safe and they knew that was something that um, you should be aware of. You had awareness because you received some information in school either through health classes or science classes but you never had an action plan. You never had actionable steps that you could take to keep yourself safe from uh, from this disease. By contrast, for example, I'm sure your parents gave you a, a set of steps you would take if you came in contact with a stranger, right? If you came in contact with a stranger, you should, you should take a, a, a certain set of steps so that the stranger couldn't steal you or, you know, or, or do something that would be unhealthy for you. So you had an action plan for that. You had awareness and action, but when it came to ticks and tick diseases, you had awareness, but no education that gave you the action plan you'd need to stay safe. Right. Yes. Yes, definitely. All right. So now let's talk about a little bit more about your childhood and what your dreams and goals were. So you said you were a four sport athlete. And of course you had a big brother who made sure that you were, you were focusing on uh, developing as an athlete. And again, you're in the shadows of Syracuse university. So what were your dreams? What were your goals? What do you think you were going to be doing with your future while you were growing up in this, um, in this environment? Yeah, I definitely, I thought sports were going to be in my life. Um, 
for a very long time. Um, it was kind of what my life revolved around for a very long time growing up. Um, I remember I'd go to school, come home, go to practice and do my homework the next day, go to school. Like it was a very routine, um, just I, it was like three core things, sports, school and family. Um, and I, when I was growing up, my mom actually was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2004. So I was four years old. Um, and she also has some autoimmune diseases. She has Graves disease, um, sarcoid and scleroderma. So growing up, I was always kind of near like the hospital. I was always kind of in the doctor's office, you know, listening to what was going on with my mom. Um, and I was introduced to the medical field, I feel like at a very young age. Um, I always wanted to help people. I knew that from the start. Um, I wanted to be a nurse or some sort of, you know, like pediatrician or something like that. But um, definitely being in that environment of being in the hospital a lot, just being with my mom and stuff, it, it definitely had an impact on me and what I wanted to do. Um, that has since changed since I've been diagnosed, but I definitely knew I was gonna be at least like helping people or trying to make an impact on someone's life in the future. So, and we're gonna come back to that uh, and talk about how you're doing that now as a marketing professional and how that skill set will be something that will allow you to scale uh, the kind of help that you want. But let's pause there and not get ahead of ourselves in the story. Um, <laughs> talk to us about um, talk to us about what your health was like during your childhood and and when did you start to see the symptoms that you now know to be uh, uh, Lyme disease? Yeah, so I um, when I was younger, I had a lot of kidney problems as a child. Um, I was in uh, the hospital. Um, it was kind of all I remember as a kid. And then I remember at my pediatrician, I had like the biggest file out of all the kids. This was before they had like the computer technology to keep it in the system, but it was a running joke with them every time I'd come in because it would get bigger and bigger and bigger just because I was having these random symptoms that as a kid, I was always in pain, it felt like, um, and my parents didn't know if it was because of sports or if it was just growing pains, but I vividly remember crying myself to sleep because my legs just, it was unbearable pain, um, and my parents didn't know what was going on, so they'd take me to the doctors, and the doctors would just kind of, like, blow it off, um, but it was always, I feel like we were just trying to get to the bottom of something every time we'd go in and then we'd leave confused. Um, I was doing well in school as a young kid and then around, I wanna say like seventh grade, I started having trouble remembering things. Um, teachers would ask me stuff and I would kind of just like, get really, really anxious and not know what to say because I wouldn't remember what they had just asked me or what we were talking about for the past five minutes. Um, so I think that was a big thing that kind of made me wonder maybe something else is going on. You know, maybe it's not just the growing pain. Maybe like, why is this affecting my brain? I just didn't really feel like myself. 
Um, and then a couple years later, like I said, I transferred um, high school. I just felt very behind um, compared to the other kids in my class. I know I'm younger for my class. I'm on the younger side. So I wasn't sure if it was just maybe, you know, I was just learning a little slower because they were older, but I definitely could see that some something was going on. Um, and I was embarrassed of it. I, I would always, you know, my, my teachers would hand me back tests and I'd just wait to open them until I got home because I didn't want to open them in front of the class and like someone see my test grade and then make, not make fun of me. But, you know, it's, it's just a self-conscious kind of thing. Um, but there was definitely something going on. And we so, Gabby, you, so you, you've been having classic Lyme disease symptoms since mm -hmm. your early childhood. Yes. Um, yeah. you, you had brain fog, you had memory issues, you had anxiety. So you, you know, you had this mental health component. Um, yeah. you, 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 um, you had arthritic pain, you know, in, in, in your body. So you had these very classic symptoms. Were you sharing these symptoms with your parents and were you and your parents sharing these symptoms with your doctors or was there some gap in symptom and description to, uh, to the doctors that you were treating with? Yeah. So I, I would always tell my parents, especially with my mom's history of, um, her health problems, I would always tell her what was going on because in my head, I kind of thought she was like the doctor. <laughs> she had enough knowledge about everything and anything medical. So, um, I would let her know, and then she would be right on it and be like, let's take you to the doctors. Let's see what's going on, you know, schedule an appointment today. Um, and, I think it was kind of hard for me to describe the symptoms I was going through because even now I say, you know, you don't really understand what it's like until you have it. And it's, it's hard to describe what the symptoms are for Lyme disease and what at such a young age, I didn't really know how to describe it. So I definitely think there was a gap between telling the doctors what I was feeling and them kind of understanding, you know, where do we go from here? But um, yeah, I, it, it's kind of felt like the doctors are on the other side if that makes sense. Well, right. So, so Gabby, you also had these migrating symptoms, right? You had one thing, then you had another thing, then you had another thing, then you had another thing, right? And the doctors were, were looking for a way of tying all of these migrating symptoms together. And that's another traditional Lyme symptom, right? And one of the things that Dr. Burascano shared with us is that one of the reasons why people with Lyme disease are often told that they're suffering from a mental health issue rather than from a physiological issue is because they have migrating symptoms. And because they're changing all the time, your doctors start to disbelieve you because it's always something every other time you come in, rather than them looking to see how these migrating symptoms may be tied together. For example, with Lyme disease, you know, it's, a, it's a typical traditional uh, set of symptoms. So um, when was the first time Lyme came on your radar and I, and it may have been earlier with your parents, but just give, give us some sense of when Lyme first came on your radar. Yeah. So I, it was right after I had transferred schools. Um, and this is in 10th grade, 10th grade. Yes. Okay. And, um, one girl who I actually 
grew up with. We were really close friends in kindergarten. And then she ended up um, transferring um, elementary school. So I had never seen her since. And then when I transferred high schools in 10th grade, we were at lacrosse tryouts and I realized it was her and it was kind of like, <laughs> you know, seeing someone you hadn't seen in forever. And, and we kind of got right back on track to where we were when we were in kindergarten. But um, she ended up getting bit by a tick and she had the bullseye rash on her leg. And a couple days later at school, she was talking to me about it. And just the symptoms that she was experiencing, I, I remember vividly telling her, I, I think I have Lyme disease because she was having the brain fog, she was having the, you know, achy pain and just all of the things that I was telling my parents that I was experiencing for most of my life. So it was kind of, you know, like an epiphany, like, oh, maybe this is what's going on. So after that, we, I told my parents and we went into the doctors, they did some tests and that was the first time that I think we kind of pushed for um, testing for any sort of like Lyme disease or anything, because I felt like there was like factual evidence that, you know, someone's going through the exact same symptoms I am. How is it not that? Right. So one of the things that we see as a consistent pattern on this podcast is that very type of experience. So we, we call it the bro science or sister science where, you know, where someone comes in contact with someone else who's been diagnosed with Lyme disease. Um, they have very classic symptoms. They identify the identity of, of, of symptoms. And then you go back to your doctor and say, hey, doc, why have you tested me for Lyme disease? I, I, you know, one of my friends has exactly the same symptoms I have. And I'm wondering why this isn't something that you should have tested me for in the past. And will you test me now? Right. So the good news is, I guess you had a doctor who was willing to work with your family and was willing to give you the Lyme test. So that's, that's a step up. I mean, I wish he, she, or they would have thought about it before because you're in the Lyme belt and you have yeah. all these migrating <laughs> symptoms, you have all these traditional symptoms, but let's not beat them up too much for that right now. <laughs> At least yes. the doctor was kind enough to say, all right, we're going to give you the Lyme test because, because you're, you're bringing this to us, right? So mm -hmm. what were the results of that test, Gabby? Did you test positive for Lyme disease? So it came back positive negative. So they believed that I had an active infection before, but currently when I was tested, it wasn't active then. So I was confused because you know, you want to know that something's wrong, but I had never had the bullseye rash. I never saw any ticks on me. So what they thought happened was, like I said earlier, I have grown up with dogs and they would sleep in bed with me and stuff and come up on the couch and stuff. But um, my doctor believes that it was maybe like on my head, the tick. And that's why I didn't see it. I have really thick hair. So I, I, I couldn't really find it if I tried to, but, um, that's kind of where they thought it was, but they believed that I had had Lyme for most of my life. So now we know, of course, Gabby, that uh, a tick doesn't necessarily have to be in your head to hide from you. Ticks are very good at hiding. They're very small. They're hard to see. Um, you know, in some cases, uh, ticks are as small as a poppy seed. 
And, uh, you know, in, in very few cases with people who are suffering from chronic Lyme disease, have they found a thing biting them? So it doesn't have to just be in your head. It could be behind your ear. It could be in your ear. It could be in your belly button. It could be anywhere. And you just simply wouldn't have found it because, uh, because it's, um, you know, it's just hard to find them. So, um, so Gabby, um, did anybody ever talk to you about the possibility of you having congenital Lyme disease, meaning maybe you were born with Lyme disease because your parents were also in the Lyme belt? Your mom had some symptoms that perhaps sound a lot like they may be Lyme symptoms as well. Has there ever been a conversation with you and any of your doctors and your family about the possibility that perhaps your mom has Lyme disease or your dad has Lyme disease and that could have been congenitally passed on to you? Yeah, so I actually had never known that it could be passed down. Um, until a couple months ago. And I, I believe that they had talked about that in passing. Um, during that time, when I was diagnosed, I feel like it was kind of all a blur. So they probably did tell me I just can't remember right now. But um, my mom has been tested, my dad has been tested, and they've come back negative. But as we know, you know, there could be false negatives and you know they they could have been positive for it but my sorry <laughs> Wrigley's excited that <laughs> we're excited to have Wrigley on the podcast as well <laughs> um but yeah my my mom you know she'll she'll even tell me sometimes she has a lot of the symptoms that I do so she gets worried you know what if she has it how did I get it? And, and I definitely don't ever want my parents to feel like they're the cause of it or they did something wrong because they definitely didn't, but of course not. No, just, but, but Gabby, no, no one, look, Lyme disease is a disease of exposure coming in contact with a tick or coming in contact with the diseases that are spitted to a tick. It's no one's fault. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's just part of, uh, it's part of, you know, living in an experience where we have a lot of contact with the outdoors. And if we want to blame anyone for Lyme disease, I mean, look, it may be a bioweapon. We can talk about that another time. We can talk about global warming and the impact that's having on, on uh, the, the proliferation of Lyme disease. And we can have those conversations, but it certainly never would be your mom's or your dad's or anybody's fault. I mean, that's just not, that's not the way this disease works. It's a disease. It's an illness. And, and, um, yeah. you know, so I, I would hope they would never feel that way. And I hope you would never feel that way. It's, it, it's really, mm -hmm. it's really just a function of you being in this beautiful, you know, the, the upside to Syracuse, New York is it's a beautiful place where you have a lot of opportunities to enjoy the outdoors. The downside to it is there's a lot of dangers that you're not prepared for that. Now people like you who are, uh, Lyme advocates who are doing things like you are on social media mm -hmm. and participating in, in, in podcasts like this. We're going to not only make people aware, but we're going to give them the action steps they can take so they can enjoy and love the beautiful outdoors in Syracuse, New York, and other parts of the world, but also not get sick, right? That's why that's why we're doing this. So let's let's focus one more minute on, on your diagnosis, and then Matt's going to start to take you through the, the, the next stage of your journey. Um, mm -hmm. When you took the, the uh, Lyme disease test, did your doctors tell you that there was a strong possibility that you would either have a false positive or a false negative because these tests are not accurate tests? No, I honestly, um, it, when I was diagnosed, I remember I, I came home, I had just had the testing done. And um, I came home from one of our basketball games, and my, my parents sat me down at the kitchen table. And it was kind of like they, they didn't want to tell me because they didn't want me to be scared. Um, 
And as soon as they told me that I was positive for Lyme disease, I actually like jumped up and was like celebrating it because you finally know you're not making it up. And I think that was definitely one of the hardest things dealing with, you know, telling doctors and them kind of blowing it off. You start to think, you know, these people don't believe me. Like, is, is, is there something else going on? Like in my mind that I'm, making myself believe that I'm sick or something, but to finally have that validation that you have something going on is probably one of the most, like, it's, it's just a feeling that like, you can't really describe. Um, but they, after that, it just feels like it was just kind of like, okay, you were positive this is what we usually do. We'll give you some doxy and then go from there. But it's, it wasn't, it felt like they weren't really invested in it. So Gabby, we know that a diagnosis can be so validating, but in your experience before your diagnosis, I mean, you were sick your whole life, but then when you were, when you were about, I think 16 and it was August of 2017, you started to have, you, you, I think you fell and you hurt your leg, you mentioned, and they thought at first you tore your ACL, your MCL, and they did all these tests, but your knee was fine, but yet you had all this pain. Then a month later, you got this cold and you had all these symptoms and they never went away, right? Yeah. So talk to us about that doubt where you're feeling these symptoms, you're feeling worse than you were in the past, but yet doctors can't figure out what's wrong. Did you truly believe that possibly could be all psychological or, you know, where are your emotions at this point before your diagnosis? Yeah. So when, when I was injured, um, I mean, I, I got injured growing up playing all my sports. Um, and that was actually one thing that I was very self-conscious about because it seemed like every season something was physically wrong. Um, I was really prone to injuries and it got to a point where people would like spread rumors and be like, she's, she's not like injured. She's fine. You know, um, she's making it up and stuff like that. So that kind of put doubt in my head. Like, why don't these people believe me about an injury when they can like visibly see something's wrong. Um, and then to go back to, when after that, I feel like just finding, you know, my, my brother, he, in 2012, he had a grand mal seizure out of nowhere. Um, and we found out he was um, born with paraventricular nodule heterotopia. So um, it's, it's hard for me to explain. <laughs> well, um, I credit you for even being able to pronounce that, Gabby, because I don't even, I couldn't, if you, if you told me for 10 minutes, I couldn't restate that word. So, so what is that? Can you explain for us what that is? Yeah. Yeah. So he was born, um, it's like a group of neurons in his head that just misfire. But it wasn't until he was 18 that he had a seizure out of nowhere. Um, and they actually, when they were taking him to the hospital afterwards, they thought he was having a stroke. Um, Jake just never, he was never really sick as a kid. They didn't know what was going on. Um, so after a ton of testing, they found out that he was born with that disease and a lot of males who are born with it, they, they don't live very long. 
Um, so it was kind of a blessing in disguise to find that he had this going on and to go from there, you know, how do we treat this? How do we make sure he's okay? But after that, my parents kind of looked at me and I was studied a lot for neurological things because, um, Jake had this going on. So they wanted to make sure I was okay. You know, if I could have any neurological problems, um, and, all that they they found was just that um you know i they just said i wasn't really learning as fast as the other kids but it wasn't like anything that they could pinpoint that was going on neurologically with my head but i feel like jake kind of gave me that fire to see what could be going on in my head if that makes sense um gabby what i'm hearing i think is that your brother Jake gave you the desire to continue to see if there could be something wrong, but you really doubted it. You doubted if it was something in your head or, or something that was real, but your brother kind of motivated you to push you to keep looking for a, an answer to your problems. It sounds like. Yeah. And, and like I said, Jake had never been sick before. So seeing that, you know, something could come out of nowhere and, you would never know that he had this disease. I think that kind of gave me a reason to keep looking further. And, you know, when they would do certain testing, like you said, you know, there could be the false positives and stuff, but that could be with any testing, you know, they might miss something when they're looking at an MRI of your head or when they're just doing like um, tests just to see your memory or something like that. But I've always, since then, I feel like I've tried to get to the bottom of things and understand why things are happening, what's causing this. Um, like, was I born with this? Like you said, my parents might have had it, but I think that that definitely sparked something in me that just wants to find out why. Gabby, was Jake diagnosed prior to you getting your diagnosis and prior to you getting your worst when you were 16 with your knee and your and your other symptoms before your diagnosis? Yes. Yeah, so he was diagnosed um, in 2012 and he was actually a freshman at Lemoyne at the time um, studying communication. And he went through a really hard time at school because he was missing a lot of school. He was kind of you know, dealing with some things, they put him on a really, really high dosage of medication for the seizures. And that completely like changed his personality. So he was having a hard time. And that was definitely a hard time for my whole family. I feel like we, you know, there was so much going on at the time my my uncle was sick, he actually eventually passed away that year. And, um, my brother was dealing with this, you know, seizures never, it's like your whole world, world flips upside down. Um, but it's just, it, it was definitely eye-opening to me because to see someone who was so healthy and so active growing up to just have their whole life change in a matter of like a day, um, it, it definitely change my perspective on things and how I see things. Yeah. But do you think looking back that your brother's sudden diagnosis after being so healthy and this, this health scare with your family, you mentioned that, you know, people with this disease generally don't live too long. So there's, there's a lot of emotional consequences of this diagnosis. 
And then truly after your uncle passing away, you're, you've been sick your whole life. You're getting sicker and sicker. Do you think that was a catalyst or a trigger for your worsening symptoms because it weakened your immune system due to the stress and allowed Lyme to take over your body even more? Yeah, I definitely um, think that, you know, I, when I was that age, actually one of the things that kind of also started my parents kind of wondering what was going on neurologically, I developed tics. So I would um, like shake my head, like I would turn my head a couple times and my mom noticed it when I would watch um, like TV on my computer, I'd just be sitting on the couch and she'd be like, Gabby, why are you turning your head so much? And I wouldn't realize that I was doing it. Um, and then it got to the point where it was more of like OCD. So after my uncle passed away, I gained a lot of anxiety because, you know, like I said, all this was happening at once. Um, and I remember I would go to my room and I would take off my jewelry and I put it on my desk and I'd have to have, I had like five bracelets on my wrist, but I would have to put them in order on my desk. And if they weren't completely lined up, then I would have to put them back on my wrist, take them back off and then do it again. And um, I would go downstairs. And when my parents and I would like go upstairs to go to bed, I would walk up a certain amount of stairs. And then I would have to go back down because my brain would think, okay, if you went up these stairs wrong, something bad's going to happen. And I think that that was a trigger, you know, after seeing what sickness can do to people, I just became so worried that something was going to happen that I just tried to do anything to prevent it. And in my mind, fixing these little things or doing things a certain amount of time kind of gave me like closure, I guess, that like everything, you know, if this was okay, everything else would be okay. So um, my parents kind of worried, you know, what's, what's going on. I had never done that before. Um, and that's actually what also led to me getting like neurologically tested MRIs and stuff like that to see if something else was going on, but it never came back with anything. Um, but that's definitely been a, like one of the biggest symptoms when I start feeling like I'm having a flare up. I develop a lot of stress and then my anxiety comes back, the OCD and stuff like that. And I'll walk into a room a certain amount of times or um, it's just very like, you know, why am I doing this? And I'll get very frustrated with myself, but I don't know, you know, how to stop it. It's just like something that happens and, and I've heard people go through similar things with Lyme, but I never knew that it could be from the line. Yeah, I mean, a couple of comments on that. And you asked, how can we stop it? And it sounds like you, from what we know about you already from offline, you've made progress and you're continuing to make more progress and that it's gotten better already. And Richard, and I just want to share with you that we've heard this before. You are not alone. These symptoms, OCD related symptoms, anxiety, depression, all of these out of the blue symptoms that come along with Lyme disease, which comes from brain inflammation, which comes from the toxins and, the, and these pathogens in your body causing these physiological symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. It can get better as you treat and as you get better from Lyme disease, we have seen countless people have debilitating, crippling anxiety and depression and OCD 
to now have none. So there is hope. And for you and everybody listening, there is hope and you can and will get better from this. So please don't lose sight of that. And the other piece of all this is when you're that sick and you have that much going on in your life, who wouldn't get anxious and depressed when your brother gets diagnosed with something out of the blue and he's a healthy young man and then your uncle passes away, you're struggling with your own health. We're just, we're human. We're going to get anxious and down on ourselves emotionally to begin with, but it gets amplified by the bacteria and the infection in our body. So it is something that is out of our control to some extent, but we can get better. We just have to keep treating. And I'm telling you, Gabriella, as Gabby, I'm sorry, calling you Gabriella. Gabby, <laughs> as you keep, as you keep treating Gabby, you're going to continue to get better and better and better. And we've seen this in countless other stories in, on this podcast. So, but I do, I do want to follow up with this whole, you know, in school, when, when all of your, your peers kept telling you she's making it up, she's not injured. Right. I mean, when that would happen, how would you address that? Because I think a lot of people have things like that, whether it's, they're in school and people are telling them you're making it up or whether they're in the workplace and people are saying you're lazy, you just don't want to do the work or whether it's family and they're saying you're lazy, you just don't want to do your chores to their brother or their sister. You know, how did you respond to that? And looking back, what advice would you give to people to better manage those social situations when you're dealing with an illness that people don't understand? Yeah, um, I definitely think, you know, that had a big effect on my self-confidence and um, just... I think when, when people would say that stuff, I would get really hard on myself. I remember I would come home crying from school and my mom would be like, Gabby, you're, you're, everything you're going through is valid. You know, you, you know, you're sick, you know, that you're experiencing these things, you know, you're injured, but it, it definitely took a toll on me. And it was hard before I was diagnosed when people would tell me that because I was like, why you're, you're judging someone when you're not going through it yourself. You know, you don't, you don't know what I go through every single day and how much pain I'm in and, and the anxiety that comes with it and stuff like that. So it was actually one of the main reasons why I transferred because it was getting to the point where I couldn't focus in school because I was worried what people were saying about me in class. And, and if a teacher asked me something and I didn't respond right away, um, and it took me a little while to kind of form a sentence to respond. I felt like I was just going to be made fun of the rest of the day. Um, so it was definitely a really hard time in my life, kind of navigating all of this together. Um, but I definitely think having my family there with me, they've always been very supportive of me. Um, and they've always been by my side and making sure that I know that I'm loved, you know, it, I need to stay true to who I am, I need to kind of stick up for myself. But I've always had a hard time sticking up for myself. I've, I've always been very shy. Um, and as a kid, I just kind of avoided confrontation. I still do. Uh, so when people would say that stuff to me, I would just kind of go into like a little shell. Like I wouldn't know how to, to say anything or I would just walk away um, and probably go cry because um, that was just my first reaction. But I definitely think I've learned that, you know, this is my journey. This is what I'm going through. I know what I'm experiencing. Other people experience it as well. And I can't get mad at people for assuming things because they don't know, you know, they, they 
haven't experienced it. They don't know what it is. You know, they're making their assumptions, but everyone, you know, everyone does that. You, you can't stop people from doing that. So I think just holding your ground, knowing that whatever you're going through is valid and um, just staying true to yourself. Gabby, I can't help but wonder because you're a better person than I am. If I were you, I would, I would have been much more greatly impacted by these types of things. And your graceful response to these things where you'd have a reaction, you'd go home and you'd cry and you lean on your family, but then you'd say, you know what, they don't understand. And it's almost like you were forgiving them, even though they were being so, so cruel to you when you were so sick. I, ha- I have to say, I think, I think your confidence and your strength and your, and your support, your, fi- your familial support helped you look at these things through a better lens. And because you weren't getting overwhelmed, you know, constantly by these things and you would process them in a healthy way and then forgive them and move on, you were allowing yourself before you even got a diagnosis to put yourself in a healing mindset because we know how much stress can inhibit your immune system and make you even sicker. So looking back, do you think that like, that was a blessing in disguise, your family support and your mindset and your attitude towards all these haters that were just being really, really cruel that you were actually putting yourself in a really good spot to start treatment once you got your diagnosis. Yeah, definitely. I mean, growing up, like I said, I went to a private school. I was always in church every week. Um, And I think that my faith has definitely helped me. Um, It's gotten me through some really hard times. And I think, you know, if you're gonna let what people say get to you, I mean, I still do. There's there's really no way around it. No matter what someone says to you, it's going to affect you in some way. Um, But I think I've learned that the more anger and hatred you keep in yourself, it, it, it delays your response to healing. And it's kind of like you're holding on to something that they're probably not even still thinking about. And so when I have you know, experience these other things in my life where I've, you know, a lot of people in my family have passed um, and I've just experienced a lot of grief. So I think that, you know, you never know what's going on in someone's life. So for them to say something or act a certain way, they could be doing it because they're going through a hard time. So I can't really judge them for how they react to things because that's just, you know, what they're used to but the only thing I can do to make myself feel better is to kind of stay true to myself to know that whatever they're saying they they probably don't really mean it's just coming from another place of anger from them um but I've just always tried to my my mom's like an angel so (laughs) she's she's always told me you know just be kind always be nice to people. Like I said, you never know what someone's going through. So she's just always instilled in me, just be the better person. Just don't stoop down to their level, you know? And I think that that's something that's definitely helped me with my healing journey and knowing that, you know, everyone's journey is different and no matter what someone says to you, it's not going to change what you're going through. So Gabby, your non-judgmental, forgiving, kind, loving attitude is something I think we should all aspire to because that's going to help us live better lives and also help us live healthier lives and help us expedite our healing from tick-borne illness. And generally, I ask people, 
what did you do before you got diagnosed that was helping you and you didn't know it was helping you? And you're already answering these questions, right? By telling us just your attitude and how you were being so forgiving yet being attacked by all these people. And another thing you just shared with us that I think was very helpful before you got diagnosed that was helping you in your, in your healing journey and with your health is the more hate, the more anger you hold on to, the more you're going to delay your response to healing, I think you said. And I think it's really powerful because I can tell you several years ago, Gabby, if anybody said to me that my anger was keeping me sick or there was something in my head or my emotions that was causing me to not get better, I would be triggered and I would get very upset with that person because we've been gaslit by so many doctors. We've been told it's all in your head. You're crazy. And then we get so defensive that we don't want to hear it when it comes to our mindset and how our emotional health can either help or hinder our healing. And I think what you just said is so powerful because we're not saying you're crazy. We're not saying it's all you're nuts, right? We're not saying that you're delusional, but we're saying that the way we approach things and the way we can, we can let these things go or harbor onto this anger will have a significant impact on our healing journey. I think that's a really, really important lesson that you're sharing here, Gabby. And I know I need to embrace it more. And I think everybody listening should take that as a reminder to just be kind and forgiving and, and loving like you are, and that those attributes will help them on their healing journey significantly. So thank you for being so kind and sharing that with us. And Rich is, Rich is never, ever, I can't remember the last time Rich has ever interrupted me in my part, but he's chatting. He wants to add something. This is how powerful your interview is. I'm going to step back for a second and let, let Rich jump in here. So Gabby, one of the things I wanted to share with you is that there's been some research done recently on anger and the impact that anger has on your immune system. And if you get angry, your immune system actually shuts down for six hours. And of course, that gives the all the, um, the, the various microbes that are attacking you an opportunity to attack your body without, uh, without you defending. So um, there is a lot of research to support what you've already come to learn through your culture, through your family, through your own experiences, that if you hold on to anger, you are going to get sicker. And obviously that's going to delay your healing. So you are actually right on point with all the research on this issue right now. Yeah, and I, it's it's a running joke in my family. I, I've only sworn like once in my life and it was just, it, it, I like don't even remember doing it, but my, like I, I won't swear because I won't get to that point, if that makes sense. Um, it does. So it, it's, it's a running joke in my family. They try to, my family's very Italian. So um, swearing is kind of like their second language, but they, um, they'll try to get me to, and it's, it's like a little joke, but I, I kind of find pride in it because, you know, if you let yourself get to that point, I feel like you're letting other people win. If that kind of makes sense, like you're letting them it, get to you. It makes so much sense. And you're right, Gabby, these people, they're walking away and they forget three seconds after walking away, but yet you harbor that and it has such a dramatic impact on your health. So you're letting them have that impact on you and we can choose to let that go. And that's what you're saying. And I think that's really powerful, but you, you did cut, there's two other things I want to follow up with you on. So you mentioned that you're from an Italian family and that you go to church every Sunday and faith is really important to you and your family. So as somebody who can relate, faith is very important to me. And I come from a very strong Italian family as well. I know that my family support, my mother, my grandmother, my father, my grandfather, my sister, my brother, they were all key players in my healing journey. And I know my faith was another integral part of my healing journey. So talk to us how your family and your faith helped you get through the hard times before your diagnosis. Yeah. So um, I guess I didn't really take into consideration um, how important faith was to me until after I transferred high school. 
um, because I was at a private school my whole life. And, you know, we would have religion class and all the things like that, like pray before every single class. Um, and I transferred to public school, which it was a great experience for me, but I felt like something was missing when I transferred. Um, and that was around the same time that I was starting to develop more serious symptoms and kind of, you know, start my journey with Lyme. Um, so I definitely dove deeper into my faith. Um, I actually have a little Pinterest board where I'll put like all of these quotes and verses in there. And whenever I start getting to that place where I start to worry and feel like I'm not getting any better or anything like that, I'll go to that and I'll just read all of them or I'll read, like, I'll go online and go to like Bible verses and stuff like that. And it just makes me feel more at peace and that, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I know a lot of people, you know, you can get in that mentality of why me? Like, why, why did I, why is this happening to me? I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I didn't ask for this, but I think that it's definitely given me a better outlook on life. And with my faith, it's helped me kind of rationalize things. Um, and I don't get angry that it's happened to me because it's given me this platform to kind of express to people, you know, what you can make out of it. Um, but I think having my family by my side, like I said, we're, we're a huge family. No matter what's going on, the fam we have a huge family group chat. And <laughs> if something's going on, everyone rushes there to be with each other. Um, there was actually just a death in the family. And you know, we all just come together and it's like, no matter how long we haven't seen each other, no matter what happens, like if there's little drama or something, like no matter what we're, we're sticking together and we're there for one another. And I think that definitely when my uncle was sick, that's when it showed the most because he was sick for three months and, um, you know, spending every single day in the hospital and he, um, had to be flown to New York City to stay there for a month and then came back to a hospital here. So I think that actually like made us stronger. Um, it brought us together and it makes you understand the importance of family and um, having that support system, having those people to lean on, I think is one of the most important things. So I'm incredibly grateful that I have that because I know some people don't. And I want to make people who don't have that feel like they can have me as their family. You know, I feel like the Lyme disease community, we are kind of like a family. We're like that big Italian family that's always there for each other. You know, if something, someone has something wrong, you're going to want to help that person. And, and I think that that's definitely one of the best things that you can have while going through this. Well, Gabby, we're grateful and thankful for you. I mean, you're teaching us right now so many powerful lessons. And when we speak about detox, we generally talk about detoxing toxins from our physical body. And we haven't even gotten to your treatment yet, right? So Richard, I always focus on how do you detox? Detox is important. You have pathogens, you have, you have die-off, you have mold, you have heavy metals, you have candida, you have things. And we always talk about, you know, how we got to detox our bodies and cleanse our bodies. But one of the things we rarely talk about on this podcast, but are equally as important is spiritually and socially 
and emotionally detoxing as well. And I think you hit on all those points, Gabby, right? You had a spiritually detox. You'd rely on your faith. You would go to scripture online. You would, you would read the Bible. You would, you'd lean on your friends in, in, in these faith-based community. Then you had to socially detox. You were being attacked by these, these children and yet you socially detoxed. You would process it and you would let it go and you wouldn't harbor that anger. These are all really powerful detox tools I think we all have to employ to make sure we can get to our optimal health. And you were doing it before you even knew what was wrong with you, Gabby. So I think, look, you know, hopefully you really you realize how powerful that is and how important that was and is still on your journey today. So thank you for sharing that piece with us. So on that note, is there any, if anything else that you want to share with us regarding the spiritual and emotional piece and how to be able to, you know, like with physical detoxing, you have to let the bed go. You have to support your body to let the bed out of your body. Any other tips or advice you can give us to let the bed go when it comes to social interactions, maybe even family interactions. Are there people in your family who doubted if you were sick or, mm-hmm. you know, friends, whatever it may be. And even people in the church that maybe had doubted you, like any tips or guidance for us on how to deal with those types of people and interactions. Yeah, um, I guess like what I had said earlier, you know, you know what you're going through, you know what you're going through is valid. And um, one thing that's kind of helped me, I know a lot of people have gotten into like journaling lately. um, But writing down like what's going on right now, you know, what things during the day that you think triggered you or something like that, write it down and then try to figure out why that triggered you. Why? is that something that's bothering you so much? You know, it might be something that's happened in the past that's reminding you of, but maybe think of how you dealt with that before. And I think that's also something I mentally do when something happens, like right in the moment, I'll think back to a time that I've experienced that before, before I react, because you kind of, you know, you lessen your reaction. Um, which could just, you could say stuff that you don't mean, you could react a certain way that's not true to yourself. So I think kind of rationalizing everything and um, just, you know, knowing that, like I said, everything happens for a reason and to come back to, even if you don't, if you're not strong with your faith, I think just realizing that like, you're your own person, you have your own journey, you can't let what people say get to you I mean, it's hard, but just kind of knowing that it's not you, it's not you that's done anything wrong. You know, this is just, this is life. It's, <laughs> there's going to be ups and downs and it's just a matter of how you're going to interpret it. And I think that the way that's helped me the most is just knowing that, um, you know, I'm going to get through this. It's, it's something that's happening right now, but like you said, there's been so many stories, especially on this podcast, where they've had such a deep low and they've come so far out of it that they don't, they're not even the person they were then. So um, I just think that, like I said, just stay true to yourself and um, just keep doing you, you know? <laughs> so Gabby, that another really powerful takeaway there for me personally is we, our friend Krista, she talks to us and she uses the word, put, put your feelings on trial, right? And, you, and when you do that, you're evaluating if what you're feeling is logical or not, and then you decide how to react to it. And I think by your, you're saying you want to write it down. 
So almost like journal what's going on, what's bothering you, what triggers you, and then figure out why did why is it bothering you? Why did you react that way? And then find a way to change it so you don't get triggered down the road is what you're saying. And I think that's yeah. just a powerful lesson for everybody, healthy, sick, whomever in the world that can help us all live better lives. But more importantly, for people that are sick, it'll help us live happier, healthier lives because we'll be happy mentally, which helps our immune system. And we can get we can continue our, our healing through strengthening our immune system and our emotions. And that's a really powerful, I think, piece that we don't focus on enough. So thank you again for sharing that. I do now want to go to your diagnosis, though. And your treatment, thankfully for your friend who shared with you about the tick bite and, and the bullseye rash and this, the, the common symptomology, and you asked your doctor for a test and it came back that it sounds like it came back. It was IgG positive for a past infection, yeah. but IgM negative for a current infection, correct? Correct. Yes. So that indicates you probably have had Lyme for quite a while, possibly congenitally. And now you're realizing that a lot of your health issues probably all connected back to this diagnosis. So you talked to us earlier that this was something that for you you're like, finally, I know what it is. But then you also noted that your doctors weren't really taking it seriously enough. So you had this mixed bag of emotion. You have happiness, you have hope, but then you're looking at your doctors going, well, why are you taking me more seriously? So walk us through the diagnosis and what that was like in the short term for you emotionally and also physically. Yeah. So um, like I said, I was kind of joyful that (laughs) I had something wrong with me and that I knew what it was. Um, And I think since I didn't really know much about Lyme, I didn't know what the right steps were. So I thought, you know, okay, they're putting me on Doxy. That's good. You know, we're, we're taking the right steps. Um, but it was kind of like, they just threw it at me and we're like, okay, we'll see what happens. Um, when it's usually like, you know, they have a set course for so many like diseases and, and, um, sicknesses and stuff that they know exactly what to do but it felt like there was kind of like a question mark um around the whole the whole Lyme disease um I didn't at first know what like the IgG meant or anything like that so I was confused and it didn't even feel like they kind of explained it to me so my mom she's done all this research on it and just making sure I know what they're talking about, you know, when I get back the labs, we'll have them sent to us as well. So we can look at them, you know, it's not just them, the doctors saying, okay, you know, this is okay, everything's fine. But even if something in the labs is like in your blood results is a little elevated or not, it's something that you should look into because something's off, you know, and I think that sometimes within the Lyme disease, like with doctors who don't really know much about it, they kind of just see, okay, it's negative. She's fine. But there could be a ton of other stuff, you know, the co-infections, everything like that. So my parents and I just tried to do as much research as we could. Um, One of my, my mom was working at Syracuse University at the time, um, the athletic center. And one of her coworkers' wife, um, had really bad neurological Lyme disease. And she referred me to a doctor in Connecticut, Dr. Katz. And um, I got out there and he did a ton of blood tests. We sat with him for like two hours, just talking about my life and everything um, and what had happened with Lyme. And 
he was the first one that kind of validated everything I was going through. Um, and I think that was really powerful in my journey because like I said, this whole time, I didn't feel like anyone really believed me. Um, and yes, the lab results showed that I had something, you know, previously, but he made me feel like I wasn't crazy. You know, I wasn't the only one going through this. He taught me so much about this disease that we had never had the opportunity to learn about. Um, and he also had me take a cognitive test and helped me realize that I was having um, problems to my frontal lobe, which made me feel better because I was like, okay, I'm not just dumb, but I have something going on that's making me struggle with learning and reading and all of these things that I at first was just like, maybe it was just from, you know, trauma from all of like that had happened in the past couple of years leading up to that. Um, but I think from there, it was just my parents and my mission to learn more about Lyme disease, to have the right resources, um, to know what medications I should be on, supplements I should be on, you know, diets that people don't really know, you know, certain foods that can spike a flare up or anything like inflame, you know, we didn't know anything about that. Um, so it was a lot of information at once, but I think that he was definitely a very important part in my journey and getting better. So I, I think this is a cool foreshadow to show how, how much better you are today, because now one person listening to this podcast, Gabby, is going to think that you're stupid or that you aren't intellectually capable because you're just, I mean, Rich and I are chatting offline just so you know. I have pages of notes. Rich has a whiteboard in his office and he got up several times to write on his whiteboard and he keeps telling me what he's writing on his whiteboard. So you're giving <laughs> us so much great information. And generally, I have to ask questions. You're answering questions before I even ask them. So one of my questions is, you know, what what are you doing that's what are you doing to help yourself? What are you doing from a, from a tip or a hack standpoint? And what are you what are lessons you've learned you can share with other people? And you're answering them, right? Like you just share with us that you're that you're you and your mom learn you have to get copies of your blood work. And we've heard mm -hmm. from so many people in the past that they had tests done for Lyme and other things. They were told that they were negative. They then asked mm -hmm. for copies of that blood work and they were positive. I was yeah. tested for Lyme in the beginning. I had, I think three or four Lyme tests done within like a one month period. All of them were positive, but they didn't consider it positive enough. And they were CDC positive, mind you, Gabby. It wasn't until it was yeah. off the charts that they told me I was positive. And then when I got my blood work later, I realized I was positive on every single one of them. So that's a really powerful tip you're sharing with people who suspect Lyme or even a co-infection. They may know they have Lyme, but they think they have Babesia. Get copies of your yeah. blood work and learn how to look at it because this isn't something like you noted where you go to a doctor and there's a set plan for you to get better. This is a different type of illness that we have to be more proactive in, in our own healing journey. So now you get your diagnosis, your primary care doctor tests you, and your mom now is talking to somebody who, who has experience or suffers with neurological Lyme and you see Dr. Katz in Connecticut. So you're comfortable sharing Dr. Katz's first name with us as well? I'm, I'm not going to pronounce it right, but it's Amaram, I think. Um, but he is out of Orange, Connecticut, um, and his office is amazing. They, they um, treated me like they had known me for years when I first went there. Um, so I definitely think if you can get a hold of him, do it, because he, he knows what he's talking about. He actually is um, 
I, I forgot if he's the one who discovered it, but he um, is very knowledgeable about pandas. Um, and he believes that, you know, I was suffering from that as well. So like I said, there was things that we were learning that day that I never knew existed, but it made so much sense when he would say it that it's just like everything starts to click and everything starts to come together and you kind of just feel like, okay, I'm on the right track now. Even if you, you know, haven't started anything that he said, like you're just walking out of the doctor's office, you just feel such a big relief because he knows what he's talking about. And I think that that's definitely something that people struggle with, um, trying to find doctors that want to help them. Um, and, you know, since my mom had such a long medical history, she always asks for the lab results. She always asks for, um, you know, if she has an MRI, she wants all of the stuff back to her so she can look at it as well. And it's not just, you know, being like, okay, I know what's going on, but it's also a learning experience because, you want to know what's going on in your body. And yes, the doctor can tell you, but I think it also helps when you can do your own research on it and find out more about, you know, what's really going on in your body, what's causing this, what are things that are making it worse or things that are making it better. So um, like we have a whole binder here full of all of our medical stuff but um it's definitely good to look back at because like say I have lab results that I just got in I can look back at a couple years ago and see what the difference is in just those past couple years um that sometimes the doctors won't tell you yeah so Gabby I think you're giving us another tip beyond just getting copies of your medical records because doctors could be misleading and tell you you have a negative test when you're positive. But additionally, we learn as patients by examining our results and it empowers us to ask better questions when we engage in our doctors and we engage in the community. But also beyond that, it allows us to do an analysis of our progress. And I, I kind of have been doing this but never truly appreciated it until you just described it. I have, a, I have an electronic folder as well of all my MRIs, all my PET scans, all of my blood work from every doctor. And when I look at it, and Richard and I have these discussions, I'll compare and say, wow, these levels improved over here because I have everything from all my past. So it allows us to make better decisions to see our progress we're making as well. But then again, even deeper, if you're going to a new doctor, you have all this data to bring in a packet to your new doctor. So you don't have to go and get all these copies and ask them to submit it electronically. You can make it easier for your new doctor to come prepared, come educated with the knowledge and give them the results that you have from your past test to have a quicker action plan with the new doctor. And we know with Lyme, it's generally not one doctor who you're going to see and get better with. You're going to see many doctors, right? So that's why it's powerful and important to have this, this binder of medical history that you can bring with you from doctor to doctor to doctor as you go through the trial and error process to get better and better and better from Lyme disease. So I never really thought about it as a whole you know, like that from all those different angles. So thank you for pointing out all those different reasons why it's so important to, to do that. So also with, I think you, you brought up another brilliant observation here with, with children and Lyme. So pandas and specifically behavioral issues and neuropsychological issues seem to be more prominent in young children based on what we're seeing with these Lyme specialists. You know, uh, and we hear this over and over and over again, like Dr. Phillips talks about it and he's a leading Lyme specialist as well. And you have had Lyme probably your whole life. And a lot of the things you described, the OCD, the anxiety, all those things are, were probably neuropsychological 
symptoms of Lyme disease. And now you're going to a doctor who understands that and can explain it to you and that makes sense of all the pieces to your puzzle. So you had to walk away from that doctor's appointment feeling pretty good and having a better understanding of what was going on in your body, right? Yeah, definitely. And um, like I said, it was the first time that I kind of felt validated by everything. Um, And just being there, it was very um, emotional as well. I um, didn't realize, you know, I I get emotional just talking about Lyme disease because it has affected me and so many people so much. But um, I think that this, like I said earlier, it was such a pivotal part in my journey, um, just to have a set plan of what to do next and, you know, find things down to the very bottom of what's going on. Um, so I think that that's definitely something that we all need is that doctor that's just gonna be rooting for you and, and doing this for you and, you know, I think that's very hard in places where Lyme isn't um, very talked about, um, which is hard in Syracuse to find people who, like doctors who are really knowledgeable about Lyme. So um, definitely making the drive out to Connecticut is 100% worth it for my family and I, but during COVID it's, it's been hard. Um, and it's very nerve wracking, especially with my mom and my immune system and stuff like that, to, um, make long trips out to those cities and stuff. But, um, you know, we have telemeds now and there's so much more technology that you can work with. So it's great that you have those resources if you need them. Okay. But let's talk more about your treatment. So you see Dr. Katz, you have all these epiphanies. And I'm, I'm guessing you were going to walk away from this with some treatment plan in place to start with. So what was that treatment plan? Yeah, so um, he wanted to put me on some other antibiotics. I believe it was minocycline. Um, I, I can't remember the other two, but um, there was a plan for if this one didn't work, we'll try this one. Um, and I think he had that laid out very well. And then, you know, if the antibiotics don't work, we're going to try bicillin shots. If those don't work, then we're going to meet again, discuss how you're feeling. You know, we'll go from there and try to see another plan that works for you and your symptoms and stuff like that. So I was on the antibiotics on and off for... I want to say until 2020. Um, And I was having a lot of gut problems. I wasn't hungry. Um, I was losing a lot of weight. I was trying um, gluten-free diets, but it wasn't anything like set. Um, It wasn't like a strict diet, which I think if you do those diets, you need to be strict (laughs) to figure out, you know, what things are causing certain inflammation or stuff like that. But I tried that for a while. I was on and off for the gluten-free diet. Um, And then the antibiotics just weren't really working. I didn't feel any really better. Um, So we tried bicillin shots. I would have those weekly um, and they were in a 
I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want to just want to before you go into the the injections and the bicillin shots, I just want to ask you a couple of questions about the antibiotics before that, if that's okay. So yeah, yeah. you mentioned that the first thing he he suggested, Dr. Katz, was minocycline, which is used by a lot of Lyme litter doctors because it's shown to have more penetration into your central nervous system and to address neurological Lyme, which clearly you had. So did you did you try minocycline or it sounds like he wanted to, but yeah. maybe you didn't go that route? Yeah. So we tried the minocycline, um, for a while. And then I just didn't, I didn't feel like it was doing anything. I didn't feel any better. Um, I was having more gut problems. So I felt like it was kind of affecting me more than like helping me. Um, so my parents and I talked to him and then he tried, we tried another, um, antibiotic. I can't remember the name of it. And then we tried another one after that, because I was still having the gut problem. Um, and we weren't really sure what was kind of causing that. Um, if it was just strictly the antibiotics, um, or if something else was going on. So he wanted to just kind of try other ones to see if that might help. Um, he knew that if I wasn't feeling well on one to not just like draw it out and, you know, keep feeling unwell, um, if there were other options that we could try. So, um, it was kind of like a trial and error. And then after that, I think he was just, you know, let's try something stronger, um, or something that, you know, maybe it wasn't our first idea. So we did the bicillin shots, but after the third shot, cause it was weekly, um, I woke up and my legs were completely stiff and I couldn't feel them. So he believed that I was having some sort of reaction to that. And we immediately stopped that. So my experience with antibiotics and just medication in general, I, I seem to have some sort of reaction to it, um, where my body just disagrees with it. I don't know why, but it's kind of hard because those are like the main things to treat Lyme. Um, and I'm sorry about the dog. <laughs> I like it. Um, <laughs> he's participating. He's excited for yeah, you. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> but um, it's definitely been hard to navigate, you know, what our next step is because I've had not a lot of luck with the antibiotics. Um, so that was definitely something really hard to go through because, you know, you're taking these medications, but you don't feel any better. You feel worse. So Gabby, I just want to ask a few follow-up questions and, 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 and clarify some things. So the bicillin shots are shots that, what, where do you, where do you inject them? I know there's shots yeah. you can do like your hip, your butt, like where, where are you injecting those shots? Yep. So it's intermuscular. They were doing it, um, in my, like higher in my thigh, um, right under my butt. And they did those, I would go to my primary care doctor and they would administer them. Um, and I, I, I just remember waking up one day and my legs were just completely stiff. And I, I didn't know if it was the, um, I'm sorry, my dog is drinking water. <laughs> if you can hear that, no. but, um, they, they didn't know if it was due to the shot or something else was going on because that's the reaction I had after I had injured my knee. Um, my legs were completely stiff. I, I couldn't move them. 
So it kind of triggered something in me where it was like fight or flight. Like I, I, I just immediately thought back to when that injury had happened. Um, so we went to the doctors and they just said, stop, stop it immediately. And then after that, they kind of wanted me to take a break from medicine to see if my body could just kind of heal itself. Um, which I was a little confused on because I was like, my body's so weak right now. How, how is it going to possibly help itself? Well, so, Gabby, before we go on, I'm, I do want to, I want to get to that, but I have a few follow-up questions still. So the bicillin shots were really just long acting penicillin, another antibiotic, which you weren't reacting too well to begin with. It was just a different way of administering it. And you stopped doing that. And that's when you said, all right, we're just going to see if your body's strong enough yet, but you still felt weak and you knew in your, you knew in your, in your, in your spirit that that wasn't the right thing to do. It sounds like, but yeah. before we get there, when you were on the other antibiotics, it sounds like you were on a ton of them before the bicillin. The first question I have is how long were you on the antibiotics for leading up to the conclusion of the bicillin injections? How long was that time period? I want to say, so I started it probably, um, March of 2018 or no 2019. And then I started the bicillin shots in August of 2019. So it was about a couple months. So by, by 2020, you were at that point, just kind of giving your body a rest to see what would happen. Yep. And that was also during the time that I had taken, um, the medical leave from school. So I was taking two online classes at that time. Um, but it was kind of just a time for my body to just rest. Um, I had just been kind of like, go, go, go. I was in, St. Bonaventure the year before, which is three hours away from home. And like I said, I'm incredibly close to my family. So that was hard on me um, being that far away and going through all these symptoms um, and not really knowing how to take care of myself by myself, um, especially because Lyme is just so, you know, life-changing that being 18 away from home, it's like, I was, I don't know how I did it. it it's just, I, I think back to that time, it's kind of all a blur because there was just so much going on at the time. I had also, um, they told me that I had three kidney stones. So I was going through that, um, which was not fun. Um, so just going through all of that at once and being away from home, I think took a big toll on me. Um, which how we said earlier, you know, stress can definitely add to the symptoms and stuff. So I think my body was just craving rest and just needed a second to just slow down and kind of figure out what was going really on with itself. So, um, yeah, after the bicillin, we just kind of took a chance to see what would happen. Um, if I did start getting really bad, then we would go back to Dr. Katz and he would come up with a plan for that. Yeah, but did you make any progress? It sounds like most of 2019 you were treating after you got diagnosed and you were treating with Dr. Dr. Katz and then you stopped towards the end. Was there, was there any progress in your symptomology? Because we know you had a ton of neurological symptoms, but you also had physical symptoms too, right? So were, were you seeing relief in any areas and with any of your symptoms? No, I honestly felt like I was just kind of, you know, having the same thing every single day. And um, I... I you know, I think back on it and I wonder if that was the right decision, but 
with Lyme, you never know. You never know what treatment's going to work. You never know, you know, what decisions are going to help you. But I think in the time it was the right decision. But um, no, I just felt the same the whole way through, which was frustrating because, you know, you're in college and you see all these people having fun and, and living their life and stuff. And, and I was never one to like party or drink or anything, but it was just weird to sit in my room and like know all of that was going on and that I wasn't like physically able to do that. Um, and I had also at that point, I hadn't played any sports since senior year of high school. And um, I was playing club lacrosse, but then COVID happened and it was just kind of, everything just kind of shut down. So that was definitely a hard time mentally and physically um, for everyone, I feel like during the COVID season and everything like that. But especially with having Lyme disease, you're scared, you know, to even go outside when COVID happens. So all of that happening at that time was definitely a lot. Now, now enter 2020 and COVID and you're Dr. Katz is telling you to kind of just take a break. Let's see what happens and see if you feel any better. Maybe there's going to be some residual effects of the antibiotics now that you're going off of them. I mean, do you feel any better? What's your health like? Do you improve? Do you decline? Do you plateau? And what do you do next? Yeah, so I um, I actually, we took a break still. I'm going to move out from the dog. Sorry. He's happy um, for you because you're doing so good on the podcast. He's, he, wants, he, wants to, he wants to congratulate you. Um, but yeah, we, at that point, um, I think we had just taken a second to, like I said, just kind of work on my body. But, um, after that, I, since it was COVID and we couldn't go see Dr. Katz, I had reached out to a doctor who was traveling out of Albany and she would come to Syracuse. Um, like every two weeks. Her name was um, Dr. Natasha Ruiz, I think is how you say her last name. Um, and she had more of like a holistic approach to Lyme disease. Um, so I saw her and she kind of went like the supplement route and we were just trying to see if that would help at all. Um, and I mean, do, you, do you know what supplements specifically, what supplements and, I, and herbs she may have been using? She, she wanted me on iron. I know that because I've always had low iron, um, which in the future, um, I had iron infusions because I was so low, but, um, iron. And then I think vitamin B, um, I, I can't remember off the top. There was a ton of them, but they, we tried those for a little, um, and then she actually ended up moving back to Albany. So I stopped seeing her because she was in Albany and it was COVID. So we didn't really have a chance to go out there. So it's, it's been hard these past couple of years, especially with COVID and my treatment, because so many things have been happening that things are just like being stopped. And then you have like all this other stuff going on. I feel like it it, my, my health doesn't go on a back burner, but I think that it's definitely hard to balance everything. Um, 
And sure, but Gabby, when you were before before you stopped treating with this traveling nurse who went back to Albany, were you seeing progress or any results with this 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 doctor before she uh, um, left and went back? I I was feeling, yeah, I was feeling a little better. Um, it definitely wasn't anything extreme, um, but I did feel like my gut was getting better. Um, which had been a big problem for me. So I think that it was definitely a step in the right direction. Um, but since then, it's we haven't really done anything. So it's kind of been a waiting game to see what the next step is. Um, but I definitely feel like the supplements did help me. It's just a matter of getting back on them. And it's, it's hard keeping track of all of them as well. I feel like everyone who's who has Lyme and even doesn't just medicine in general, you know, remembering to take them and having them um, available and stuff like that. So um, it was just a matter of everything happening at once. I think it's just kind of taken a step back um, to see what the next step is and to see if my body can kind of heal itself. But um, it sounds like that you you stumbled into the natural world after being in the Western world, or you stumbled to this Eastern world of supplements and natural medicine, and you're making an observation initially, which I think a lot of people today, even Western doctors, started to recognize that there's a huge connection between our gut health and our brains, and there's they call it the gut brain axis. And if we can improve our gut health, we can have a drastic positive impact on our brain to help us heal and to help us with neurological and psychological symptoms and also physiological things as well. So, you know, th this is something I think that's, that's now your, your kind of interest is peaked in, but because of COVID, you really sort of, it sounds like you've just sort of been kind of leveling out since that, that tra it, was tra it was a traveling nurse, Gabby, right? Am I saying that correctly? She, okay. she's a, um, I believe she's a PA. Travel. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. So since then, has your health pretty much been leveled out? Have you gotten worse? Have you gotten better from that point to the present date? Where's your health kind of been since then? Um, right now, I, I definitely feel like I'm, I'm kind of going backwards. Um, I feel very weak. I don't know if it's just, I know a lot of people, when it starts getting colder out, their symptoms, you know, spike, but it's definitely... Um, I've seen a change since I had last seen Dr. Ruiz, um, but it's, I just feel weak again. Um, I feel tired, you know, brain fog, um, just most of like the common symptoms. It's definitely not as bad as I was when I was first diagnosed, which I'm extremely grateful for. But I think right now it's just trying to find the right treatment and um just getting to that point um i for dr katz my next step was to get um the emg procedure um the nerve conduction study in order to be approved for ivig treatment but with COVID happening and stuff and the doctors kind of being booked, we're just waiting to get in for that EMG conduction study. So that's kind of the next step from here. So, I mean, you're obviously not feeling great, but you've made progress. But I mean, I know you're, you're still a full-time student, Gabby, and you're working part-time, I think, right? So the fact that you're able to go to school full-time, work part-time, 
do things like help people through this podcast and advocate on social media to help other people in the community, I think that alone shows the progress you've made. And I hear you that you you want to and will still get get even better. But I mean, look at the progress you've made, though. Yeah, exactly. And I, I always talk to my parents. I, I, I don't know how I do all that right now. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of, I just, I feel like I'm just on a routine and I just keep going, but um, yeah, I'm definitely grateful that my body's strong enough to get me through this. And, and I know that, you know, it's, it's not going to give up on me if I, if I keep pushing. So I think just doing things that help me mentally and physically is key and you know eating the right food and like you said taking the right supplements just doing stuff that's gonna benefit you is one of the most important things in the Lyme journey because if you're just not really caring about how you feel then you're not gonna get better so I think that it's definitely listening to your body listening to how you feel after eating eating certain things or doing certain activities you know I I don't play sports regularly anymore, but whenever I have the chance to, I will. And um, I exercise, I work out almost daily because it's something that makes me feel normal again. Um, so I think finding that thing, that activity or hobby, hobby that makes you feel like you is most important in this journey. So Gabby, let's take a look at the future. So your next steps are going to be IVIG. You're waiting for approval by doing the EMG. And now you're doing that in collaboration with Dr. Katz. Walk us through what is IVIG and how can it help you in your journey? Yeah, so what I understand of it is um, it's giving you the antibodies, I believe. (laughs) I haven't looked too much into it because it isn't like a definite that I will be able to get it but my um the co-worker's wife who worked with my mom she had it and it was weekly um and it's kind of just giving you the um not the ability but the antibodies or something that can make you strong enough to fight this off um because your body can't produce it itself. So um, she would have a nurse come to her home weekly and administer it. It's usually about like four to five hours a day, um, um, one time a week. So it's definitely something that my parents and I have to figure out because I am a full-time student. I am doing two internships right now and working. Um, And then I will be starting um, graduate school in August. So it's kind of a balancing act of all this. And, um, but I guess just waiting to hear back if I can have that EMG and then if I am approved, um, just waiting till that, but it's definitely something that I hope can be done. I hope it will help. I have heard wonderful stories about it and that it's helped multiple people. So um, I think that gives me a lot of hope. So Gabby, now let's talk about your transformation, right? Uh, One of the things that I think I like and sometimes feel sad about when I'm doing this podcast and I'm I'm representing, when I'm interviewing young women like you, uh, you're the same age as my youngest daughter, is that I see a great deal of maturation in the people who have gone on this journey. I see uh, not only, not only, um, emotional maturation, but I see uh, intellectual maturation. You're obviously very smart. 
and you're obviously very, very um, mature for a young woman. Uh, so I, I think that is certainly a beautiful piece of this journey. Um, and I also have seen a very interesting pivot in your um, in your goals. You said that during your childhood, because your mom had so many different issues and you spent so much time in doctor's offices, both with your mom and with yourself, that you had this heart for wanting to help people. And I think it's really interesting that you pivoted from wanting to be a medical professional where you could help one person at a time to now becoming a marketing professional where you can help people at scale. So talk to us about how you made that pivot from wanting to help people one-on-one -on -one in the medical industry to now learning how to help people at scale through your marketing uh, degree. Yeah, definitely. So um, I think it wasn't until 2019, um, I got an opportunity to work with Syracuse Athletics Marketing Department during their basketball season while I was home from school. Um, and I think that kind of opened my mind to what's really out there other than, you know, nursing or being a doctor and stuff like that. But it was something that I didn't realize that I had a love for. Um, I've always loved to create. I would always draw and paint as a kid and just like make little art projects. Um, so having the ability to create and to do that for someone else to kind of deliver their objective like through marketing, I think is um, really fascinating. Um, and I, I started to kind of grow my knowledge in it after that. Um, it wasn't until COVID that I decided that I didn't want to pursue the nursing career because, you know, having Lyme disease, being in that environment it is very risky, um, especially with this pandemic. So I think that I looked back at, you know, what else makes me happy? What have I enjoyed in the past? And that was marketing. So I switched my major to marketing. And from there, I have done multiple other internships. I worked for a baseball team this summer um, doing marketing for them. And then I right now am working for a marketing firm through Lemoyne. They're called um, Heights Global Marketing. And it's a student run firm. And um, we work with organizations all over the country and New York, and um, we just kind of fulfill their needs, their marketing needs. And it's very, very um, interesting to see, you know, all these different companies, but how they kind of relate to each other within marketing. Um, and I always say like, if I can make someone else's life easier, that's all that matters <laughs> um, or impact them in some way. So I, I definitely enjoy what I'm doing now. I'll be working as a grad assistant for um, Lemoyne Athletics next year during um, grad school, which I'm really excited about um, to still have that sports kind of industry um, within my life. But yeah, I think it's cool how you can use marketing for so many different things um, while still helping people and delivering their objectives to people and getting it like across everything. So yeah, I'm excited. So, so let's talk about that, Gabby, because 
you know, we, we started this podcast by talking about the limitations of the educational system that you went through where you were living in this beautiful community and you had opportunities to enjoy the outdoors and you love your animals and you're cuddling with your animals all the time. And unfortunately, um, you were not given the tools you needed to be safe. But yeah. now through your marketing um, skill set and, and you're learning that through some of the top marketing um, um, places in the world, that major league sports and, and college athletics and where, you know, marketing is, is a premium and they've, and they've been at the forefront of marketing. You can now use these marketing skills and you could use your creative talents to now change the world by providing the information to the world that you didn't have and your family didn't have during your, your experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, um, it's just cool to learn every day, like how you can use it in so many different ways and the people that you meet, especially um, through marketing and how it's such like a teamwork kind of thing. Um, I never thought that I'd be getting my master's. So um, I'm kind of proud of myself for that. <laughs> it was definitely- You should be, I'm proud of you as well and Mavis as well. Thank you, thank you. And um, it's kind of surreal to think I'm graduating this year um, because there has been so many times where I've doubted my brain and how smart um, I could be, but it's definitely emotional to see how far I've come since I was first diagnosed. Um, so yeah, this is definitely a big, <laughs> um, but it's definitely a big part of my life right now, just to see kind of how I've grown as a person and um, to see how I can help people. And to see how tough you are to grit through all of this and, and accomplish as much as you have, despite having all these health, health issues and all the challenges that come along with dealing with health issues, which is really admirable. And uh, that certainly makes Matt and I very proud of you as well. Thank you. So now I want you to teach us one more thing because this has been an unbelievably um, powerful learning experience for me, Gabby, quite frankly. Um, I can't tell you how much I've learned from you and we'll talk more about that offline. Um, but I need you to teach me one more thing. If God forbid your mom, who's been such a wonderful advocate for you during the course of this entire process mm -hmm. uh, and has been there for you through all of these medical battles, um, came into your room right after this podcast and she had a tick biting her, on her arm. What would you recommend that you do so she wouldn't have to go on a chronic Lyme disease journey? I would definitely have her um, save the tick, you know, call the doctors, push for tests, um, no matter what, just you know, make sure that your needs are being met. Um, we definitely need to take more caution outside. I think Syracuse and anywhere in general just needs to be more knowledgeable about Lyme disease and what can happen. Um, I think, you know, it should be something that's taught in high schools and touched upon more and even in the news. Um, but yeah, I think just, you know, checking yourself daily, no matter if it's winter or <laughs> summer or no matter where you go, just making sure that you're checking yourself and that you're taking action as soon as possible, because the longer you wait, you know, you never know what could happen. So I think just staying on top of things, making sure that your questions are being answered, getting those lab results back, keeping track of everything and um, just trying to stay as healthy as you can.
Gabby, I can't thank you enough for sharing your beautiful journey with the community known as the Tick Boot Camp. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, Gabby Bordenero. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Gabby Bordenero, please visit our Instagram pages at Gabby Bordenero or Gabby's Dailies. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Boot Camp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, we here at Tick Boot Camp have created a Tick by Blueprint. It has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We are due to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view our blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us and our community. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get our automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, the folks in our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please kindly take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.